Good morning, listeners. You're welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this morning are Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal, Barry Carey, who is with the IFA, and he's going to be talking about protecting your property. And my final guest this morning will be Sean Ryan, and Sean will be talking about the plight of potato growers at the moment. My first guest this morning is Michael Campion from Chagas, and Michael is in the Thurless office, and we're going to start off our little chat this morning about a green cert course that's going to be run in the Thurless office in January of 2024. Good morning, Michael, and thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Um, I suppose, yeah, in relation to the Green Star course, here in Torres, we'll be starting um, a Green Star course this coming January. The course, I suppose, the course duration, um, January through to the following January into February, so 14, 15 months. Um, to join the Chagas uh, Torres course, um, you need to have a FETAC level six or higher qualification um, previous to joining. So that differs from students going straight into maybe Green Star courses after school in that um, students joining this course would have to have a prior level six or higher. Like the, the full-time Green Star course, a mixture of animal husbandry, machinery skills, touch on the farm management side, um, animal health and so on. So I suppose if um, if anyone in the tip region is interested in getting some more information, you can call any of the, the three offices, so Turlet, Nina, or Tom Mill, and then pass you on to John Bergen, and the education officer. So he go through, I suppose, the ins and outs of the course in terms of duration and contact days, um, and he touch on the benefits maybe for you as well and what you, you'd obtain from doing a green search down the line. Okay, and I suppose it's better to warn anybody that there is a course fee. Yeah, so the course fee, uh, like any of the Chagas courses, um, two thousand nine hundred ninety, so just under the three thousand, um, is the course fee, um, that's paid up front, um, upon signing up there. Okay, okay, so that's the, the course, and as you said, uh, Michael, it's starting in January, and if anybody is interested, they should make contact with uh, their local Chagas office so that uh, they can be able to get their name on that course. Let's moving on then to uh, maybe housing cattle requirements for uh, the coming winter. Yeah, so Jim, I suppose um, the winter actually came in a little early um, this year with the wet back into the year. So a lot of farmers ended up housing cattle maybe two to three weeks ahead of planning um, or their planned housing dates. That's going to put pressure maybe in some situations on cattle housing terms of some farmers maybe having additional cattle than what they'd have other years. So a little planning might need to go into the housing of them. If we just look, I suppose, from a cattle point of view, um, in terms of feed space, the lion space there, so I suppose cattle, say, Wheeland, 300 mil of um, feed space we'd be aiming for per animal, so it could be our beef animals or mm-hmm. maybe um, our dairy replacement heifers. Finishing cattle then, 
they're going to have a level of meal involved. So you'd be looking at double that, so 600 mil of feed space. We want to make sure each of them um, finished animals will have enough feed space that they have a fair chance when concentrates are being fed. On the dairy side of the house, ideally one cubicle space per cow. Um, some farms may not be in a situation or they may be working towards having that in the future to have one cubicle per cow. Um, so just, I suppose, planning around that can take place and that certain sheds aren't being overstocked and maybe other sheds being underutilised in that as well. Years ago, you didn't need a one cubicle per cow, but the regulations now say one one cubicle per cow? Yeah, and so I suppose you should be aiming towards having the one cubicle per cow with um, selective dry cow coming down the line. Yeah. Fighting on antibiotics and that as well. Just want to make sure each cow has a fair chance and that she's not going to pick up infections over the dry period um, and just that extra bit of comfort there as well for them cows. Okay, and you spoke there then about what's needed for weanlings in particular, and I suppose everybody at this stage probably has their weanlings in, as well as really good silage. Should the farmers be giving them some concentrates? Yeah, so the amount of concentrates, Jim, um, that weanlings need will depend very much on silage quality. So where silage quality is good, we say in plus 70 DMD, with a good level of protein in that silage, one to two kilos of concentrate should be adequate. So that should provide weight gains of 0.5 to maybe 0.7 per day, depending on the quality of what you're feeding. Um, it's important that these animals are still growing over the winter, that we don't want, um, I suppose, them to stagnate. So if we got that 0.5 to 0.7 per day over the winter, we'd be happy with that because what we're really trying to do with the younger stock is trying to exploit compensatory growth once they hit grass um, during the following grazing season. So maybe for saying 0.6, maybe over the winter, mm-hmm. them animals, once they get out to grass, you could be getting weight gains for the first while of 1.1, 1.2 kgs per day. So it's cheap live weight gain the following spring is what we're after. Okay, that's that, that. That's feeding the weanling, keeping going on. Then feeding store cattle. Uh, what's their requirements over the uh, winter period? Yeah, I suppose store cattle. If we're aimed to get them out to grass, mm-hmm. and the following year we'd be happy enough with with good quality silage. So again, we're only aiming for that point five to point seven kgs per day, and um, for these steers, ideally, um, we'd be keeping away from feeding a level of concentrate but if silage quality is poor a kilo or maybe two kilos per day um, might go astray um, there when we're feeding them it's possible to to achieve that 0.5 to 0.7 as I was saying on silage alone so if we can target good quality silage if we have that in the yard and to these animals we'll be able to keep away from feeding the meal so going down maybe on the labour involved with the meal as well Okay, and moving on then to uh, how we would look after, and I'm particularly interested in the suckler cow over the winter period. How should she be looked after, Michael? Yeah, I suppose if we look at um, the suckler cow over the winter, if we take the spring calf and suckler cow, so maybe the calf was weaned some stage September into October. So after summer grass, generally them spring calf and cows, they'd be in good body condition score. So if we were saying 
condition scores maybe three to three and a half is where we'd be aiming for. Calvin, mm-hmm. we we won't want that condition score anywhere over three. So we want the cow fit, not fat at calving. So it's important to address any um any over conditioned cows or under conditioned cows. I suppose um we'll look the under conditioned cows, which hopefully we'll have very few of. They'll need a level of weight gain um, if they are under-conditioned over the maybe three months leading up to calving. Ideally, targeting good quality silage and maybe a kilo or two of concentrates to these. Um, I suppose housing situations will come into play here and that hopefully we've uh, set up that we can group maybe under-conditioned cows, maybe ideal-conditioned cows, and have a group that were aim to trim down there over the winter if, if they are over-conditioned. I suppose we want to do that early in the winter because during the last month of pregnancy, the calf's nutri- nutrient demand will increase and the cow is starting to produce or manufacture colostrum in the last few weeks of pregnancy as well. So um, we want good quality colostrum and we want to ease the calf and, and the cow that's going to calve down um, in a good body condition score. Okay, and finally coming then, Michael, to the dairy cow over the winter period. Yeah, I suppose dry off is taking place maybe a, mm-hmm. a, around now for some of the first cow or those that have finished their first lactation. So I suppose body condition scoring late lactation cows is important. What we can do then is maybe adjust the feed in the current body condition score or maybe dry off some under conditioned um, cows. Um, that bit earlier with um, heifers would be in for a 12 week dry period cows roughly 8 week dry period so we'd want to be looking at our scan results as well to allow um, adequate dry period looking towards I suppose when cows are dried, dried off um, are we feeding them appropriately so a current body condition score again and if we have a mixture of silage types in the yard are we feeding them dry cow silage so silage that's maybe 68, 70 DMD. It's just going to maintain body condition over the winter. I suppose minerals will come into play as well. So if we are getting our silage analysed, I'd be recommending getting mineral analysis done as well. We can base our um, dry cow mineral then or our pre-calving mineral around the results of that forage analysis. So that's quite a lot to think about there, Michael. And I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning that listeners was Michael Campion from uh, Chagas in Turles giving us good advice and going back to the our first topic this morning which was the Green Cert course being run in Turles in January if you are interested in doing that course will you please make contact with your nearest Chagas office staying with Chagas I just want to uh, give you a date for your diary. Chagas have asked me uh, to make you aware of the National Beef Conference or the annual Beef Con- Conference, which is taking place on the 21st of uh, November in Ballinasloe. It's starting at 5.30. There's going to be two sessions, one at 5.30, as I said, and the other one at 7.30. And if you are interested in going, would you ever make contact with your Chagas advisor or 
go to the Chagas website and uh, book yourself in to that particular conference. It's open to all farmers and it is free. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal. And on last Monday night, the journal had a head-to-head debate with the candidates for president of the Irish Farmers Association. And Pat and I are going to have a discussion as to how that particular event got on. Good morning, Pat, and thanks for joining us. You're very welcome, Jim. Good to be on. Okay, the debate on Monday night. Uh, how did that shape out in the end? Um, I suppose it's probably the last of the uh, of the debates that they're yeah. going to have. Um, they've been all around the country. I think sixteen debates up and down the country, or in every corner from Enniscorthy to Donegal, McCroom, um, up to Navan, back across the Castle Bar grueling schedule so they're well seasoned in terms of debating each other on the issues mm-hmm. what's the difference this time is that our editor jack kennedy was moderating and it was more they were debating each other rather than i suppose facing uh, you know a crowd but at the same time we still had questions coming in from the um from from, from our readers yeah uh, in the days leading up to it and on the day i, mean, I would advise people uh, who haven't seen them in action to go along it's it's available to view online and on our website and you can do the sunday game version and, and lash through it you know uh, mm-hmm. in fast forward but they did debate across all the issues we covered you know all, all mm-hmm. the sectors um and all the big issues that are out there there are differences between the men but there is respect between them as well and i think it's been uh, quite an engaged debate rather than a fractious one and that's not easy to do because when you're meeting the same person night after night and bashing it out on, you know, what are very important issues to individual farmers and groups of farmers and tens of thousands of farmers, and you really want the job, um, it's hard to retain your respect for your adversary, but they've done that. Um, and they've come through what has been a fairly grueling uh, examination in advance of the debate where I was talking to both men, and they both said it. You know that they they've learned an awful lot from the process. Mm-hmm. Voting is now starting, and uh, the seventy-two thousand IFA members have will mostly have received their postal votes, uh, their postal ballots in the post, and uh, you can uh, jog along to your local branch meeting, cast your vote there, or you can return it by post. It's the right time, I suppose, for people to. Uh, to have the opportunity to hear the two candidates go through the issues. Thousands attended the head to heads around the country, yeah. but thousands were tuned in last night as well. So, um, and like I say, we expect there to be a big throughput on the website, watching it back uh, over the next few days as people consider which of these men, because uh, ultimately, Jim, mm-hmm. it is a hugely important decision for Irish farming. Um, one of these two men will become the leader of the largest farm organization at a time when there's a huge proliferation of farm organizations. There's been quite a confused voice on a lot of the big issues. The accusations out there that there's been a lack of coherence. If we look at, say, the last cap reform, mm-hmm. people were looking for everything and nothing. And it's hard, it was hard to discern a clear set of priorities other than leave things alone, which is not happening in our cap reforms. Things aren't being left alone. Things are in constant flux. So we need 
Irish farming to come together and to define its own future and to plot its own course rather than react to what's coming from Brussels and Dublin. And the next IFA president will have to lead that journey, really, um, in conjunction with you know, the large body of volunteer officers, the staff, and the other farm organisations. There's going to have to be some kind of meeting on minds, of minds on, on some of the key issues if we're going to gain traction, you would think. Pat, you have your fingers on the pulse as to what the big issues are out there. So irrespective of which of the two candidates is successful, what's the biggest challenge facing them? I think that that's maybe fourfold. Number one uh, is to uh, fight for better incomes for farmers. And there's two, I mean, the, you know, the incomes for farmers boils down to getting a better price in the marketplace, uh, which farmers have to do, and to get the kind of supports we need to transition through the changes that farming is going through. The second one, and then in terms of managed change, everyone recognizes that farming has to adjust to the new realities. And there's an impetus on us to, to maintain incomes while reducing the input use, while uh, you know, adjusting to a less intensity for the most intensive farms in terms of the derogation. Uh, there's huge questions around the structure of farming in terms of farm size. It, it, it's been pretty static for a long time, 35 hectares. And that I think most people want to see the family farm remain family farms, manageable size. But we've got a very rapidly aging farmer workforce and our farming population uh, has got a demographic challenge and we need renewal. Every site at the debates and um, the issue of access for women and young farmers into both into farming and into controlling the, the wheels of power uh, within farming and access to the upper levels of IFA was an issue. And of course, for the first time ever, we have a woman contesting one of the two national elections. Alice Doyle and Pat Murphy have had <clears throat> also a very civilised and very vigorous debate uh, around the deputy presidency. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. It's the first time a woman has stood for national office. But I think that you've you've got that. You've got the challenge of explaining what farmers are doing and what they need to do uh, to the general public while defending farmers against accusations of being climate deniers, of being climate laggards, of being wanton polluters, and explaining that <clears throat> you, know, you can't produce food without a footprint. It's about minimising the footprint and making it as sustainable as possible. Uh, but that's not simple. Uh, that's not simple at all. Interesting, I have a publication in front of me at the moment, a UK publication done by Waitrose. They, they have an issue out on farming. And the issues that you outlined that are facing Irish farmers and facing the candidate who is the most successful, every single one of them are dealt with in this article. And there is a similarity that is absolutely glaring they have exactly the same problems across the water. To a larger or lesser degree, the problems are worldwide. We, we have an awful lot in common with uh, British farmers, but the one thing we no longer have in common is uh, being members of the common market and being members of the single market as it is now and be members of the European Union. And uh, the British were often allies of Ireland's um, increasingly towards the, their time in Europe on, on many issues. And we shared 
like if, if, if you look at things like pesticides, machinery parts, they were often coming through the UK. <clears throat> so there's the complications that Brexit caused, which to a degree we're getting used to. But in another way, there's another layer of Brexit issues emerging now. The trade deals with Australia and New Zealand, and we see uh, they slow down um, uh, between the EU and Australia and New Zealand. And that's, I suppose, something that Irish farmers will be glad because of the level of competition that uh, they're being asked to cope with where there's differing regulations. But Britain is doing trade deals with Australia and New Zealand, and Britain is doing trade deals with other parts of the world. And we've got the issue of the shared island here and the soft border. How do we deal with that? So they're all massive issues for Irish Farming Inc. And uh, having an articulate um, farming voice to uh, communicate to the general public the, you know the dilemmas that we're in and some of the complicated decisions that will have to be made which will make lives a little bit harder for everybody but will secure farming for another generation that's a job that's going to need a very skilled hand so it's an important decision that we have to make here in terms of whether martin or francie becomes the next president well let's see how things go and i suppose we'll all be out and about particularly over the next couple of weeks going to visit some of the local branch meetings that are taking place across the country but more importantly I suppose the big event for us all coming up uh, later on will be the day of the count. Yeah 12th of December mm. <clears throat> it'll be very different because the postal vote mm -hmm. changes there, there was that huge dynamic within the branch where the branch vote uh, was the thing and there was a time when the the branch voted with one voice and you had that the waiting branch votes that's all gone now it's one member one vote and the votes won't be coming through the branch envelopes but through individual envelopes having said all that we'll have our tally experts there seasoned watchers who will discern a pattern in how this is going early on there are differences i mean martin Stapleton is a dairy farmer from um, from from uh, East Limerick, <coughs> practically on the tip border. Uh, he uh, and Fra uh, Francie Gorman is a dry stock farmer from Leash. So there's a difference in uh, in location. You've got the difference in in enterprise, and I think that you know farmers often vote geographically. They often vote according to enterprise. It'll be interesting to see how farmers vote this time. Okay, well, Lucas, Pat, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. That, listeners, was Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal casting an eye on the election that's going on at the moment. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Barry Carey, and Barry is the Crime Prevention Executive at the IFA, and the IFA have concerns that uh, their members may not be fully protected and don't fully protect themselves from people intruding onto their property, uh, particularly during the dark winter months. Barry is going to tell us all about how we should be protecting our property. And mind you, this also applies to anybody living in rural Ireland. It doesn't have to happen to be a farmer. Good morning, Barry, and thanks very much for joining us. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me on. OK, now, Barry, I know you're very concerned that we uh, protect our property and uh, the safety of ourselves during uh, these periods from intruders that may 
uh, wish to visit us, us uh, farmers or do, rural dwellers during uh, the winter months. So what should we all be doing to protect our property and ourselves? Well, Jim, um, you know, um, alarms for, for homes and farms and not uh, particularly alarms that are monitored. Right? Yeah. There are many schemes out there at the moment that are quite practical and quite economical to operate and use. One of the biggest things that we've been promoting uh, through uh, with the Gardaí is property marking schemes. Mm-hmm. And what property marking schemes are, thieves and criminals are looking for items that they can offload quite quickly when they've taken them. So marking your property with an air code uh, or with a particular number uh, in specific places and uploading it. There's a, a Garda app, a property marking app, which is for free. You can get it on the Garda website uh, and uploading the photographs of, of the particular pieces of property. And if and property marking does three things. One, it acts as a great deterrent because in communities and community groups, there are signage set up. This was this was first initiated in the Cavan Monaghan districts and prop and, and, and burglaries and, and thefts are down by 80% over the last number of years. So it does work marking your properties and encouraging you know people to to mark the specific uh, assets and items that are on their, their properties, the tools, the quad bikes, anything that's of value that's part of the the daily work uh, machinery of 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 farms and and you know from domestic items you know um, lawnmowers strimmers anything like that to market photograph it upload it onto it also a, a participation in community cctv schemes and cctv the big thing about it is getting a notification many farms and farmers have have have, have cameras CCTV for for lambing and calving, and and when that season is over, the utilisation of those specific items, and um, to give a notification if somebody's coming in, you can you can set them up that you know that during specific times that if you're not around, uh, that these particular cameras will send a message to your phone to say there are people there, and and the questions are asked, I'm not sure what if these fellas have have hoods or or scarves on them or hoodies on. Yeah, but you're getting a notification to say that somebody's in somewhere where they shouldn't be. An early warning is is a great particular piece. And community involvement, neighbourhood watches. And we've been promoting reporting suspicious activities. There's no bit better than the local communities and local neighbours to see that there's something there that's, that's not right. And reporting it to not to the local guard station, but reporting a suspicious activity to 999 or 112. And this will get a, a response from Garda Shikana under the new scheme. You didn't mention lighting. A lot of people think that if they light up their premises and particularly outside their premises, that that will deter yeah. uh, somebody coming onto their property. Yeah, the, the light up and lock up is huge. No one likes to be to be seen. And again, time lighting, white lighting. Uh, you know, they're not that expensive and, and particularly ones that are either on a timer or that uh, are, are um, motion activated uh, coming in. Once the area is lit up, no one likes to be in it, particularly potential thieves. But the light up and the Guardian have been promoting the light up lock up campaign after daylight saving there uh, mm-hmm. at the end of the of last month. Right. But so, it's hugely important that people would light up and lock up. Okay. And particularly keys, uh, Jim, keys of vehicles were were, were were some, somehow uh, 
little bit thoughtless when we come to that. We leave keys and tractors and quad bikes and, and cars and vehicles outside our homes. In, light it up, lock it up and take the keys and put the keys in a secure place. Right, of course, there'll be a tradition in rural Ireland that there's no need to lock the car and there's no need to, you can leave the key in it. But uh, unfortunately, over the last 20 years or so, that was something people always did in cities and towns, but uh, rural people didn't. And unfortunately, they paid the price. So people are beginning now, Barry, to lock their cars and lock their equipment and take keys out. But you are dead right. Sometimes people, in a hurry, they leave the keys in the vehicle. And, and people in, in rural communities are, are busy, particularly in the farming communities, busy out from early morning to late at night, dropping in the car outside or the, the, the farm vehicle outside and going in for, for some refreshments or something warm to eat and, and leave it there. And then we have the opportunistic thieves who, who come along and, and exploit that particular situation. OK, now there I did mention there at the beginning of this little chat, Barry, that you were concerned about uh, individuals coming onto farms. Yes, it, all over, we've had several incidents over the last number of years, some serious incidents where where, where, where farmers and, and landowners have been assaulted and they trespass and criminal activity on farms and private lands. Oh, uh, the IFA and the Garda Shikana came together. Um, they're advising farmers and landowners on how best to proceed on coming across or in contact with groups or individuals who are uninvited on their lands and their properties. And this has taken the part of, of illegal hunting with dogs, uh, people arriving into lands, uh, parking up vehicles and going out. And, and the legal hunting is that it's for hares and, and that particular activity. So what the confrontation should always be avoided. And this is where, where farmers or landowners tell people to get off. Remember this time of year and, and that we're heading in with in calf, in lamb and, and uh, you know. Yeah. Um, so the safety, uh, the safety of, of, of people when they come across them and what to do. So, you know, we're saying uh, things like, um, you know, do not take any risks that would jeopardise your person's safety. If you meet strangers face to face, advise them that they're on private uh, property and ask them to, to leave, politely to leave. Don't get engaged with banter or abusive comments, which normally follow on. And then the next thing is, uh, you know, if you have concerns, immediately dial 999 or 112 and not the local guard station, as I said earlier. And, and get the operator and ask for the Garda Shikana and inform the Garda Control Centre that, you know, you want to report intruders on your land, sharing as much information as possible, describe the trespassers or any vehicles that they may be using, providing Garda with such things like, you know, either an air code, a townland, a road number, if you have it, you know, the R251 or whatever it is, and, and if possible, the direction of travel of such trespassers. And if you can, you know, continue to observe safely and monitor the situation and upgrade the guard as required. You know, alerting local community watch groups or, or, or WhatsApp groups uh, and other interested parties where it's appropriate, you know. You know, and things like securing uh, securing gates and closing and locking, uh, uh, shackling locks, you know, ensure, as we mentioned now, the good lighting and, and the boundaries, signage, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you and, and consider using trackers for, for particular vehicles in that uh, is it, quite important. But, uh, you know, as I said, there are many ways that we can take precautions to to stop these particular people in specific areas and reduce the crime and, 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 a, and a very good way for rural land to combating rural crime. Barry, are they more prevalent during the daylight hours or is it during the hours of darkness that these people can be very prevalent walking on to somebody's it, it, land? It's predominantly in the daylight. Yeah. And, and uh, but however, there are groups that lamp nighttime. Mm. 
right. and they come onto lands at night time. And, and uh, you know, it, it's animal worrying. Um, it's the causing of abortions of, of, of animals and animal worrying. And, and then, there, of course, the dogs issues are always uh, every year. The same particular problem comes up in relation to dogs and, and dog worrying and dog kills of, of particular farm animals. Look, we're coming to the end of this particular interview, Barry. But what would be your three things to take away from this interview to anybody listening to us? Um, as we mentioned, light up, lock up and keys. The use of an alarm when you're out and about, particularly monitored in that you can get an alert on your phone to say that there's something uh, or somebody in a particular area, including the use of the cameras to say that there are people in areas where they shouldn't be. And the biggest thing is then community engagement and community support. People seeing things that are not right in the communities and reporting them. Reporting to Ronkarda Sheikhana is one of the biggest things and creating that uh, environment where people are starting to feel safe in their homes. And you've said one thing that I suppose a lot of people would not think of doing, and that is ringing 999 or 112. They're more likely to have the phone number of their local guard station in their mobile, and that's what they go to first. But you're, you're advising everybody to ring 999 or 112. That's correct. You know, at the local guard station, look, you know, in certain places, there may be a road traffic accident or some other incident where members of the Garda Shikana are not at the local station. But you will get a response when you get through to 999-112 and reporting a suspicious activity or whatever activity that you're reporting. The Garda Shikana will take it in and, and resources will be allocated to it. OK, Barry, thank you ever so much for all the very good advice. That listeners was Barry Carey, Crime Prevention Executive at the IFA, giving us some very, very sound advice. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Sean Ryan, and Sean is the chairperson of the IFA's Potato Committee, a national potato committee. And as you are probably all aware, we have all seen horrific photographs of fields of potato, potatoes virtually covered in water. And you can imagine the hardship that those particular farmers who grow potatoes are having at the moment and the worry that they have, will they ever get their potatoes out of the ground? And I'm quite sure now that Sean will be able to articulate the problems that those farmers have. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Jim. Okay, good to have you on, Sean. This is a serious situation. Uh, it is, Jim, yeah. Um, there's probably just still probably 50 to 60% of potatoes uh, still in the ground. But it probably all started from the late planting. We were probably five or six weeks late planting due to the wet weather in the spring. And that left it, you know, the crops were probably a bit slow maturing. And it, it left it that there were going to be a late harvest anyway. Uh, and then we, we had the uh, very wet October as well, which really, um, which really, you know, finished finished it off. Really, I suppose. You know that weather, wet weather that you're saying in October, that wet 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 weather really started in mid September. So really, there wasn't much of a chance for potato farmers to get uh, potatoes out at that particular time. 
No, no, there was a there was a little bit uh, taken out in in September some of the earlier mm-hmm. strong crops, but there's mainly the the later crops weren't ready to be taken out um, in, in say the, the first few weeks of September. So it was uh, it, it, it just ran the whole thing very late. What areas then of the country are the most affected? You know, uh, what are the main we'd say potato growing areas in the country at the moment? Um, well, sure. You, you, so, uh, Donegal is probably the only place that's, that's ahead of, of of all of all the counties, or mm. which is very unusual. It's usually the other way around. Uh, Donegal probably could be eighty percent of the way, mm-hmm. but from the Midlands down Cork, uh, Wexford, all that area, uh, Meath, Louth, all that area is still only about fifty uh, percent of the way. Right, North County oh. Dublin, of course, which is yeah, uh, Dublin, all all the kind of yeah, all the, all that area is still is still way behind, and and, and it's just that the ground is so wet that it's very slow going. Like mm. we're only doing half the acres a day that we that normally we would be should be doing. Now the journal this week have published photographs that are absolutely horrific. Yeah, yeah, that that's a feeling in a Scarty here in Wexford. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the. the we were actually in that field there today with, with um, mm-hmm. like it, it is, the potatoes that are in that are completely rotten. Are uh, they? The, you know, the, the, oh, they are completely rotten. Um, they're, if potatoes are in water for uh, any more than three or four days, uh, they're gone. They'll, they'll, they'll be rotten. And the bigger problem is the ones that is rotten now mightn't break down for a couple of weeks until, until you're having harvested and they're in the boxes then with, with other good potatoes and the store, there's going to be big storage issues and, and problems going forward there. Right, because uh, some commentators were saying, Sean, that potato growers now were fearing frost because uh, frost, the soil is so wet, frost would penetrate. So we're not particularly talking about that field in Wexford. We're talking about fields that aren't flooded, but where the ground is saturated. Yeah, well, it, 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 yeah, ground is saturated, but the bigger pro- uh, problem is that the, there was so much rain all year that it, it washed out a lot of the clay off the top of the drills. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of potatoes sticking out the sides and the tops of the drills, and one night's frost will, you know, uh, it will penetrate into them, and you're in, you're in trouble. Then that that's the big worry is a, is a couple mm-hmm. of nights heavy frost. Right, and of course, there's also the worry, I suppose, that they're losing some of the crop. Those that are exposed to daylight, they start going green. Yeah, there's there's going to be a, a lot of tear, um, mm-hmm. and this year there's a lot more cracks and, and that in them as well, and there's an awful lot of greens because of, because of the you know the the sunlight has gone. The, yeah, the, ex- so, the exposure to light. Yeah, yeah, so, the exposure to light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of aid now uh, are the IFA looking for for potato growers at the moment? Well, sure. At the moment, we just we just have, we have to put in an application just to let the department know that the, the issue is and the problems that's there. Yeah. Um, we'll have we'll have to wait and see what kind of acreages is going to be harvested. Um, and you know, it's it's an early in the stage now, but um, it's you know there there is uh, there is some fields not going to be harvested. Uh, that's um, because and the potatoes are rotten in them already. And there's a lot of fields have areas, say the bottom mm-hmm. fields and whatever that that is uh, is gone already. Like so, um, you know we'll ha- we'll have to wait and see what you know what's the outcome of the harvest in, in the next two to three weeks. And of course, that's going to create a shortage of Irish-grown potatoes on the market. 
Uh, it will, yeah, between that and the tear and there was 7% less uh, planted this year mm-hmm. and the sales were very strong this year as well. So, you know, the whatever is what was harvested early is gone and there's very little in storage. Usually this time of year now you'd be finished harvesting and there'll be, you know, the stores will be full to keep you going for the, for the rest of the year. Yeah. But there's very little in storage uh, up to now anyway. So it's very likely that we're going to run out of native potatoes sometime in the very early springtime. So if we're not able to get into fields very, very quickly and, uh, you know, there's no light down the tunnel as far as a clear up in the weather to give uh, potato farmers a chance to get their potatoes out. No, no, and and like it's the forecast. We're there's rain coming again there tonight, mm. and the Sunday is supposed to be a, a wet day again. Yeah, and I was just talking to a grower in Tipperary, uh, actually in Tipperary. Yeah, uh, the day before yesterday, and he has a machine on tracks, and he went to dig yesterday, the day before, and just went fifty meters and just had to reverse over and went home. Um, you know, even with the big machines, they're just not able to 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 travel. Travel, yeah. So, Okay, yeah. that's a very serious situation. Let's hope that, you know, potato growers will get uh, a break sometime in the not-too-distant uh, future, hopefully by the middle of next week. Another thing I just wanted to have to, to run by you, you know, there's been a new uh, initiative with regard to horticulture. What's the IFA's take on that at the moment? Um, well, there has been a horticultural forum set mm-hmm. up um, to try and uh, make, even kind of get young, new people into the industry and try and, because it, it, there's a serious situation there in the, in the horticulture, like uh, as regards to the veg grown, like there's only about five carrot growers left, mm-hmm. five cabbage, one broccoli, two swede. So it's a, it's a very situ- a serious situation there as regards of, of, of um, you know, being able to fill our own market uh, because just growers have left. Like in the potato industry, there, there was about 700 growers. We're down to about 160 now. And, you know, that, that it's, it's, there are less and less growers there every year. And, you know, uh, so there was a forum with the minister, Pippa Hackett, there has been a forum set up. Yeah. And there's you know, one person from each uh, commodity mm-hmm. on that, say on veg and potatoes or whatever. And they're just trying to, to come up with some you know, the idea is to try and keep um, keep people in the business and, and maybe get young people to, to go into it as well. Well, now there's more an issue than just trying to keep people in the business. You know, uh, we're we're importing so much vegetable. It's unbelievable, uh, Sean. Yeah, well, the, the, most of that would be uh, our season veg here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we can only grow uh, in our own season. So whatever would be coming in, would be, you know, it would be our season for Irish growers. Um, like the Irish growers are filling the market when when they're in season, but when, when they're out of season, that's, yeah, there is, there is veg coming in. Right. And do you think then that this committee that the government have formed or this new forum, that they will be able to come up with some ideas to rectify the situation and that there would be more than just, as you quite rightly said, five carrot growers? Uh, we need more than five carrot growers in the country. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big challenge if, uh, because land availability uh, is one thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, the, the growers dealing with the supermarkets and all that, that's a, that's a big challenge as well. 
and you know the, the government are going to have to step in there as well on on that end of it. Um, it it's a it's a big challenge, but uh, it's at, le at least it's set up there now, and and you know all the the, the stakeholders are kind of involved in it, and and there is a there is a lot of work being put into it there at the moment. Right. Just one last question to you, so Sean, before I let you go. What would you say to uh, any potato grower in Tipperary or vegetable grower in Tipperary? What advice would you give them at the moment? As regards to getting crops out, I guess. Yeah. Well, sure, uh, them growers know, know as much as what uh, I do about, mm -hmm. um, you know, as potato said, like this. There's a lot of experience there with, with all the, any of the growers that's there, like, are, are, you know, the very experienced mm -hmm. growers and the specialised growers. So, um but sure, I suppose the, the main thing is to try and get the the the, the driest of the land out and, and just uh, skip any of the wet patches and, and maybe deal with them later on to try to get the majority of them out. And that's that's probably the that's all anyone can do is do their best to try and try and get as much as they can out in, in the in the window that they have to do it. Okay, well look at Sean, we leave it there. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. That listeners was Sean Ryan, who is the IFA chair of the National P Potato Committee. That, listeners, is Ag Report for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way. <laughs>